0: is from John's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 12 to 15. John, chapter 16, verses 12 to 15. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me.
1: Well, Rachel, thank you very much for that reading. We're going to uh, do something slightly different to begin with can I ask you to have that reading open in front of you and I'm just going to ask you and invite you to read it again quietly to yourself just a chance to just process some of that stuff going to read it once more, and I want you to listen to this with a prayer for attitude asking God to speak to you tonight through these words. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no longer, and then after a little while you will see me. I wanted to do that before we begin, just so that we're rightly grounded and appreciative of God's word. It's very easy to read it and move on quickly to saying other things, but this is God's precious word, his words to us, to be slowly chewed on, to be meditated upon, to be absorbed. And we're going to be unwrapping some of those words this evening. And we're specifically looking at tonight... The work of the Holy Spirit to teach us through God's words, actually. And so it ties in with that as well. We've been uh, looking more generally at who the Holy Spirit is. And now we're kind of moving into a phase on the Sunday evenings to looking at what he does specifically. And as I said at the beginning of the service, last week we looked at how he makes us know in our hearts that we are God's children. He pours out God's love in our hearts so that we know that deep in deep in now noah as some people once one person once said deep in that deepest place that we can be assured that we are God's children well we're looking at something different tonight we're looking at the power and the work of the holy spirit to teach to lead us into truth and i'm aware that as we uh, look at this particular topic it's not as glamorous as some of the other things that uh, perhaps you know that the holy spirit particularly does most people, when they hear the word teach and teaching and truth, have a slightly adverse reaction to it, if I'm honest. Uh, some of you will know that before I was ordained, I was a secondary school teacher, and um, not only a secondary school teacher, but perhaps the worst type, a physics teacher. I know, and whenever I tell people that nowadays, they, they, go, they go back to their teenage years and have some kind of painful memory that comes to the forehead. and said oh I hated physics, it was just awful and if I'm honest as a, as a secondary school teacher it wasn't very glamorous it was actually really hard work and I have great appreciation for teachers here actually at the moment they're wonderful people because I, I know what it's like to spend day after day in front of teenagers who don't really want to be there and make it perfectly known actually and I admit, it was a tough time, but as I was teaching, I lived for the moments when suddenly one or two people understood something for the first time, and something clicked. And when it's to do with physics, it's something about the universe and understanding it for the first time. And you'd see people's eyes open wide and think, wow, that's amazing. And I'd agree with them, yes, that's, that's, what we're, that's what I'm aiming for, yes, this is amazing. And when we're looking at the work of the Holy Spirit and his teaching ministry, he aims to do the exact same thing. He aims to open our eyes and to see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, to say, wow, he's amazing, and to be blown away. And that's what he does in his teaching ministry. So sometimes not very glamorous, sometimes not very exciting, but essential really to knowing and loving our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me pray for us as we dig in. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that we've had a chance to chew on it already. We pray now as we open it up, speak to us by your Holy Spirit those words that are written here that you will lead us into truth. We pray, lead us into truth tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just to set the... the context of the passage and the scene, Jesus has been teaching for almost three chapters in John straight, and it's some of the richest teaching you'll ever find in the Bible. He's just celebrated the Last Supper with his closest disciples, the Twelve, one of whom is going to betray him, and he knows that. And what he does before he goes to the cross is to leave them with a deposit of truth rich manner for the future, teaching about all kinds of things, especially teaching on the work of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 12, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. It's almost as if he's been feeding them with rich chocolate cake, piece after piece after piece. And he's saying, I want there's so much more to give to you but you just can't handle it right now. It would not be good for you. In fact, it would probably make you slightly unwell. Anyone been here? Yep. And instead, he says, someone else in the future is going to continue feeding you with this rich chocolate cake, this manner, this truth from God. And it's going to be the Holy Spirit whom I will send, and he's going to teach you and continue teaching you, continuing my mission to make known God's word, God's ways, who he is. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at five things that the Holy Spirit does when he teaches. Now, I know that's quite a large number. That doesn't mean that it's going to be a long sermon. They're going to be five short depth charges. Um, They're going to be five short arrows, let's just say. Because In this passage, so rich, there's so much that we could dig into, but we're going to attempt to limit it in time. So the first one is that the Holy Spirit teaches through guidance. He teaches us through guiding us. He doesn't teach us by downloading information into our brain like you might download a program or an app. He doesn't teach that way. Some of us might wish wish that he did. No, the way he does it is through guiding us. Verse 13, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He doesn't stand and dictate to us. He actually comes alongside of us as we explore the vastness of who God is. He leads us in a relationship. It's almost like he is a tour guide who... Takes you around the city that is the fullness of who God is. And he points out various things. He points out that amazing restaurant over there, or that stunning view, or this historical landmark. And with God, he points out, oh, did you realize this about God? Did you notice that about what he's done? Did you realize that he's done this for you? He's like a tour guide that gently but very, very powerfully guides us around and teaches us about God. And he's a tour guide almost, that he knows his stuff back to front, inside out. He knows it better than anyone. Back in my 20s, I spent uh, 10 years or so living in the city of Oxford. And uh, you'll know that it's, it's world famous for its university. And because of that, there, every single summer were a lot of tourists to say the least. You couldn't walk about very easily in the city centre. And as you were cycling around, because I cycled back then, I still do, um, you had to dodge tourists. And as you walk around, you hear all these tour guides, these walking tour guides, trying to sell you a tour of Oxford. saying, come with me and I'll show you around, and I'll show you around for free, which always is a bit suspicious. And then they said... I'm an actual resident of Oxford. I used to be a student at this university. They were trying to convince you that because of their pedigree, they had been a student here, that they actually live in Oxford, you could trust them to be a really good tour guide of this city. And many other cities in the world, the exact same kind of patter is given as to why you should join them on their tour. Well, for the Holy Spirit, when he tours around the fullness of who God is, well he has the best pedigree in the world because he is actually god himself and so as he tours around and as he teaches and as he points things out about who god is he's someone that could be trusted he's someone that actually knows his stuff he's someone that actually is going to explain wonderful things to us he's not like some dodgy tour guy that's going to take you to some awful part of the city that you never wanted to see He's actually got the best things to give to us, to highlight to us. Now, applying this to us, because he teaches in this particular way, in the warp and woof of our relationship with God, it means that we're to be listening to his voice. To take that time to be still, to hear his teaching, to hear his guidance, to actually accept that he knows better than anyone else the things of God. And that he's very much willing to do that. Some top five-star hotels that you can go to in the world give you your own personalised tour guide for your stay at the hotel to be at your beck and call whenever you want to explore the city that you're in. I've never stayed in one of those hotels, by the way. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot like that. The Holy Spirit is always there at our beck and call, just simply willing to teach us about God to guide us into the things of him. And all it takes, really, is to ask for it and to listen and to spend time with him. To simply say, Jesus, I don't know you as well as I wish I did. Teach me by your spirit. Teach me the deep things of you. Teach me who you are. And with an open heart, he does those things. He teaches us by his spirit. Well, that was the first thing. The Holy Spirit teaches us through guidance. The second thing is that the Holy Spirit's teaching is pure. Verse 13, he says, he will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. The Spirit speaks only what he hears directly from God, nothing more, nothing less. It's like a conduit, a straight conduit from the lips of God himself to us. An image of this, most of us probably wouldn't drink water from Portsmouth Harbour. You just wouldn't. You know why. It's got all kinds of things in it, uh, including salt, obviously, but all kinds of other impurities. You know it just would be dangerous for you. But there are places in the country where you'd be very happily drink the water, especially perhaps in Scotland, where those, there are those precious mountain streams that come rolling down from the hills and the mountains, and they're pure, and they're drinkable, and you can drink some of you are shaking your head, no they're not, no they're not, don't do it. And that's because they've come straight from the source. There's been nothing added in, no pollutants, nothing picked up on the way that's going to cause harm. And in a sense, that's exactly the imagery that the Bible uses of the Spirit of God coming forth from the throne room of God himself, living water that is pure, that we can drink deep of, that will refresh us that will actually change us. And that's the Spirit's ministry. It's a pure teaching ministry. There's nothing impure about it. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 explains how this works. He says this, "'The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. "'For who knows a person's thoughts "'except the Spirit of that person which is in him? "'So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God "'except the Spirit of God.'" Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Paul repeats himself a couple of times there, bless him. But what he's saying simply is this, just as we know our own thoughts and are able to articulate them sometimes quite well, or well, the Holy Spirit, because he is God himself, knows God's thoughts and is able to articulate them to us directly. He's like almost the ultimate mind reader. He knows what's on the mind of God, both for the present and for the future, and is able to speak them into our lives. Now, there's a bit of a health warning with this particular idea. And the health warning is this. Many people over the history of the Christian church have taken verses like this, and uh, especially this passage, to say, well, the Holy Spirit has just spoken to me a new truth. Something that's brand new, that's a revelation, that actually changes everything. And they've used passages just like this to say that. the are sects that claim this, Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, that the Holy Spirit has added in some stuff that has come directly from God. Now, the only problem with that, just as a health warning, is that quite often when push comes to shove, it contradicts what's already been said. And as we said, the Holy Spirit's teaching is pure teaching. There's nothing impure about it. So if it contradicts what's already been said, or the Spirit is inscribed in the Scriptures already, well, that probably highlights the fact that it's not the Spirit of God at all. It's actually something much more impure, something other, something that actually we don't want to go anywhere near, anywhere near. His teaching is pure teaching. That was the second point. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit's teaching is biblical. It forms, it creates scripture. Verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, it's really important to understand the context of that particular last bit. This is Jesus promising to the apostles that there's more stuff to come and the Holy Spirit will reveal it to them. And that's exactly what happened because the Gospels aren't the end of the New Testament. Of course, there are other books full of teaching that actually Jesus hinted at but never fully explained in the Gospels. And the Holy Spirit spoke to the apostles the truths of God after Pentecost, which they then put down on paper. Not only was he involved in speaking the truths of God, he was involved in the actual writing of the truths on paper as well. Paul says that all scriptures God-breathed. Peter says that no one spoke from their own will, but they spoke as they were carried by the Holy Spirit who led them to write what they wrote. This book, the whole of this book, comes under the inspiration of the Spirit who led human authors to write the words of God. This is what Jesus promises, there's more to come, and now we have it, now we have it. The Spirit's teaching created the Bible. And this is great news for us, because we stand as direct benefit of this. Because if the Holy Spirit, and I want you to keep with me here, if the Holy Spirit is the one that authored the Bible, and if he's the one that teaches us about God, what does that mean? That means that when we read the Bible, we get the author explaining his own book to us. Lots of possible Bible teachers out there who know the Bible really well. But we get the privilege when we ask of God For God himself, the author of the book, did teach us. He wrote it back then, and he explains it right now. It's a double blessing. It's a double blessing to each and every one of us. The Bible scholar and preacher Derek Prince put it like this. God's perfect provision for us causes my heart to rejoice. The Holy Spirit was the author of Scripture, and he is also our personal teacher of Scripture. The author himself becomes the interpreter of the book. Who could interpret a book better for you than the one who wrote it? No one. No one could. And we get that privilege. One of my personal stories and testimonies is that I've known this over my life, that the times that I've understood and known the Bible best I haven't actually been in theological training college, though that was a wonderful time. haven't been necessarily in in times when I think that I've spent time labouring at it and pursuing it, though that's also been useful. The times that I've come to know God's word best has actually been when I've asked God to teach me, when I've asked God to do it, when I've humbled myself and said, God, would you teach me through your word? And when I pray that prayer, and when I do that and humble myself and ask the author to teach me authorial intent, what it means, then, then is the time I've found that I've understood it the most. And this actually helps us to understand a major objection to the Christian faith. I've heard many people over the years say to me that the problem with Christianity and many of the religions is that it's all based on a book and this book is really hard to understand. It was written so long ago, and actually by so many different people. How can you expect people to, to believe in God if you have to go through this book? That it just doesn't make sense. Surely God wouldn't make it that hard for people. There are people who are learned who perhaps could, but for most people, actually, it's really difficult. Well, that's not true. Because we're not left alone with the book. We're given the book and we're given the author as well. And he says, I will explain it to you. I will give you its understanding. I will teach you through it. We're not left alone to wrestle with this book. If we were, they'd be right. But we're not left alone to wrestle with it. And if you're here and you've struggled with this book over the years, can I encourage you tonight to pray to God, say to God, God, you know that I've struggled with this book but I believe that you can teach me still. Would you teach me through this book? One of my um, favourite Bible teachers is someone called R.T. Kendall. And uh, I've read just about every book he's ever written. Uh, He's an expository preacher, and he's uh, very famous for taking on Martin Lloyd-Jones' mantle in Westminster Chapel. And uh, he's a clever chap. He's got an Oxford doctorate in theology, studied uh, systematic theology in John Calvin, And he has great insights into the word of God. But he once wrote this about the Spirit's teaching ministry. We need to learn that the Christian faith is not like maths or physics. Because what we need is not intellectual acumen, but the Spirit showing us things. This is why you can meet someone who has not been to Oxford or Cambridge or even sixth form or done O-levels or GCSEs but who can have the profoundest knowledge of God. And he goes on to say, and this is a major preacher saying this, I've run into people who could barely write their names, but at whose feet I would sit and let them explain about the Bible. How can you explain that? The answer, the teaching of the Holy Spirit. I want to say to you, if you're here and you feel that there is an intellectual barrier that you just don't feel smart enough, you don't feel that you could ever understand these kinds of things. That's not true with God's help. And in fact, that might qualify you especially to know more than the rest of us because you will lean on God's help to teach you, to give you understanding in these things that is greater than any other wisdom, greater than any other power to teach. That was the third thing, the Holy Spirit's teaching forms the bible and he teaches from it the next one the holy spirit's teaching points to jesus verse 14 he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you i mentioned this a few weeks ago that if you want one simple sentence about who the holy spirit is what's his raison d'etre in our lives It is to point to Jesus, to lead us to him, to worship him, to see him for who he is. That's his main focus in life. And that's what he does here in verse 14. Jesus says, he will take from me and bring me glory by doing that. I don't know if at school you found that the best teachers were always the ones that were most passionate about their subjects They could make any subject come alive. It's probably why I ended up studying physics. I had this amazing physics teacher called Mrs. Price. She was uh, this Scottish lady. Don't hold that against her because I could just about understand her words. But even though I couldn't quite get all of them, she was so passionate about her subject matter that it transcended the Scottish accent. And I just, a passion and a desire welled up within me to understand these things when it comes to the Spirit's teaching, he is so passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ, that love within the Trinity, that the persons of the Trinity have for each other. He's so passionate about Jesus that when he teaches, desire will just naturally well up within you to know him better, to know Jesus, to long to know him better and better and better. And a mark, a telltale mark of the Spirit's teaching is that because of it, you will see Jesus as bigger, more glorious, more holy, more majestic, more powerful, wider and taller and more all-encompassing than you did before. If you want to know that you've been under the Spirit's teaching, that's the result. That's what the Spirit will do in your life. You'll just see Jesus ever so clearly and ever so more greatly. Some of you may have... um, either read or seen the film version of a book by C.S. Lewis called Prince Caspian. Anyone seen the film recently? I don't think it was that great. I prefer the book. But in it, uh, Lucy, who's one of the children in the original Chronicles of uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, has grown up a bit. And she sees Aslan for the very first time since the previous book. And let me read from the book. Aslan says, welcome, child. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, he answered. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me to be bigger. And I just want to say that that's what the Spirit of God does. Under his tutelage, every year that you grow, you will find Christ to be bigger. You'll see him clearer. You'll see him transcending your worries and your anxieties. You'll see him as powerful to sort out things that you didn't believe he could in the past. That's what the Spirit of God does. He points to Jesus and makes him bigger in our sight. And lastly, the Spirit's teaching is treasure, it's pure treasure verses 14 and 15. He says, He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Jesus repeats himself two times here to make a point. There's a chain of giving. The Father has given to the Son and then the Spirit takes from the Son and gives to us. The same treasures of knowing God, of understanding his ways, of walking in his will that the son had, that same treasure is given to us by the spirit. And if that's true, that is a profound thing. It's being invited into the family treasure, saying, you're welcome as well. You can have this as well. It was for Jesus alone, but now it's given to you from the Father. Paul in Colossians 2 3, praying for the believers, says that he wants them to know Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That actually there's lots of treasure in the world, there's physical treasure. There's the treasure of relationships. There's treasures that perhaps you treasure personally. But he says that there is a treasure that is to be found only in Christ. And if, if we come under the Spirit's teaching, that treasure is given to us. It's given to us. That privilege of knowing God. I wonder when the last time is that you step back and realize it's a privilege to know who he is. It's a treasure. All the world religions over all the centuries have longed to know this treasure. They've devised means to try and obtain it. But we have it. To know God himself, the mind of God. What a treasure that is. We don't deserve it. But he says, here it is. You can know me. You can know who I am. And I want to reveal myself to you. And I do it through the power of my spirit. Well, I want to end with a story to do with treasure, actually. Um, if any of you have uh, seen the latest Hobbit movies or read the book, you know that it's about a hobbit called Bilbo Baggins, who is a funny little chap. He's about Yehi, or high, And he's persuaded somehow to go on a quest by some dwarves to find treasure and there's a great treasure hoard to be had and he's very reluctant to go on this expedition but somehow he ends up dragged into it and eventually through various things that happen they end up at the mountain where there is treasure but there's a problem there is a dragon that is guarding that treasure and let me read from what Tolkien writes the dragon is called Smaug Smaug lay with wings folded like an immeasurable bat, turned partly on one side so that the hobbit could see his underparts and his long pale belly crusted with gems and fragments of gold from his long lying in his costly bed. Behind him, where the walls were nearest, could be dimly, dimly seen coats of mail, helms and axes, swords and spears hanging and there in rows stood great jars and vessels filled with a wealth that could not be guessed to say that bilbo's breath was taken away is no description at all there are no words left to express his staggerment bilbo had heard tell and sing of dragon hordes before but the splendor the lust The glory of such treasure had never yet come home to him. His heart was filled and pierced with an enchantment and with the desire of dwarfs. He gazed motionless, almost forgetting the frightful guardian at the gold beyond price and count. And seized by that treasure lust, that overwhelming desire, you know what happens. They do battle, they defeat the dragon and they obtain the treasure. I want to say to you as we end, the gospel message is clear that there was once a dragon that guarded treasure. That once we knew God and that treasure of knowing him was ours. But then through our own folly, through our own our own sin, there's a dragon. There's our iniquity, our wrongdoing, that guards that treasure of knowing God that we long for, that we desire, that Jesus at the cross defeated that dragon. So that now, actually, all that is open before us is that vast cavern of treasure, of knowing God, of knowing who he is, knowing the unknowable one, had it not been for the fact that he makes himself known. And that treasure is ours. It is actually ours For the taking. And I want to end by saying God invites you to have as much as you want. Invites you to have as much as you want. You can fill up jars and jars and jars. You can take it home and you can come back for more. He wants you to have as much as you want of the treasure of knowing him. Let's stand. Let me pray.